Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. It's a good description of church. That's, that's what it's supposed to be. Um, just down the road from our house, there's uh, this typical kind of suburban landscaping. And what it is, it's this guy's front yard, and he has a boulder and some kind of rocks around it. Um, and I don't know why they put boulders in the yard. We've got one in our yard, and I don't know if it's just like, hey, we want to make this hard for people mowing this thing, so we're just going to throw this big old rock right here that you can never move. And uh, so it's got this big old rock. But one of the features of this, you know, I mean, we've been, I've been, there's no sidewalk, but it's kind of like a road we drive down. And so for years, I've noticed that there's always these different like rock formations on top of the boulder. You've seen that, right? Different places, like people piling rocks up on top of the boulder. This is just some yard in suburban Woodbury. You know, it's not the most uh, eccentric kind of, you know, place. You, not something you would expect to see. I, I learned this week that these formations all are called cairns. C-A-I-R-N-S. So if you really want to know some trivia, there you go. Um, and so, you know, I'm always walking by this. And one day I had an opportunity to talk to the owner. I just figured the owner was kind of putting these things together, and he was changing the configurations every week. And I talked to him, and he's like, he's like, I have no idea who's doing this. It's just, I wake up in the morning, and there's these rocks, and sometimes it's different formations. And he's, so what's happening is random people are just walking by, again, no sidewalk, or maybe they're driving by or bicycling by, and they, you know, stop and go pick up a rock and, you know, uh, add it to the little formation. And so, you know, Liam, I wanted to get a picture for you guys, so Liam is adding his little rock, and you know, this picture's full of stuff. If you notice, he's also carrying a little tiny blue hat for no apparent reason. It's in the picture too. Just those little, you know, find the details in there. But he's adding to, to the little pile. And, you know, I know this is kind of silly, but, but it's, it's, a, it's like a, it's a conspiracy of, of something good. Like people are kind of conspiring together to create just a, just a little bit of beauty, just a little good thing. And I know it's not huge or it's not, it's not incredible on the level of like a, an Amish barn raising or something like that where the community, you know, gets together or maybe, you know, like a blood drive or something like that. It's not on that level, but it's just nice to see people kind of randomly doing something that's kind of nice for, for everyone. Everybody. It's real small. I use that as an example because I want us to kind of get into the illustration on a small level because I want to take it a little bigger. Um, you know, as you all know, our nation has experienced a, a number of tragedies over the, the last few weeks and, and, and months. Er, earlier this month, there were the, the two mass shootings, one in El Paso and one in Dayton. And the one in El Paso in particular, there was a story that came out of it about a gentleman by the name of Antonio Basco. Some of you may have read this. Uh, his wife, his 62-year-old wife, was killed in the Walmart in the shootings, and he was at the funeral home making arrangements, and how many do you expect? And he's like, we don't expect anybody. We don't have any family here. We aren't originally from here. We don't, you know, we kind of not made a lot of friends. We don't expect anybody. And he said, maybe you could just open up the funeral to anybody that wants to come because he didn't expect any, anybody to show up. So they put out the word, the funeral home put out the word, and they started getting flowers sent to it. And pretty soon the funeral home realized they wouldn't be able to hold it because so many people were responding to this that we're going to show up to a funeral. I mean, we talked about funerals a little bit last week. They're not people's favorite thing to do. And people were lined up for hours 
to attend a stranger's funeral and to, and to hug on this man who had lost his wife. I mean, how wonderful is that? Their little contribution doing some small thing to create something beautiful. It's a conspiracy to create something wonderful and beautiful. Now, you may not believe me, but this is an image of what the church actually should be, could be, and at its best is. That it's a group full of people who are all conspiring together to make something wonderful and something beautiful. And of course, we're, you know, we're organized around this principle of becoming more like Christ. But it's, it's people conspiring together to make something good. It's, it's somebody is down that hallway right now taking care of your children so you can participate without the kids crying or fussing or needing to go to the bathroom or changing diapers. Somebody's doing that. It's people who are doing just little things that all kind of build up into this, this wonderful thing that we call the church. And we just don't even recognize all the different things that are going on. We don't even know. And so I just want to encourage you to assume the best. Like wonderful, many wonderful things are going on. Now, believe me, we hear it when somebody does drop the ball. We know all about that. And we'll talk all about that in just a second. But the church, like, kind of at its best, when it's really working, it's people conspiring together to make something good, make something wonderful. It's, it's, it's this beautiful thing. It's just a wonderful thing. So we're going to take this quick stroll through Paul's description of the church in the book of Thessalonians. But it's our final sermon in this series. And to me, this has been so fascinating. Because remember, this was a baby church. I mean, this wasn't even a baby church. This was a preemie church. They had only had a few days, a few weeks for Paul to kind of come in. He was doing the normal church starting process. And he would come to a new town and he would meet some people who he thought might be interested. And he would kind of establish things. But he would take months and sometimes years to really get everything rolling. And there was some uh, what the Bible calls, literally uses the term, NIV uses the term, there were some bad characters that came in, it started a riot, and chased Paul and his buddies out of town, and they had to leave behind these, just these brand new disciples. And they're just, they just didn't think they were going to make it. I mean, they just didn't have, there was no way that they had a chance, and so they're gone for a while, and they send a guy named Timothy, you've read, he has a whole book written to him, they send Timothy back, and he comes back to Paul, and he's like, you're not going to believe it, this church is doing amazing. And maybe they had different expectations because they really thought everything was going to fall apart. But this church was doing incredible. And so what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking through like the practices and the, the beliefs and the habits of these people that really kind of made the difference between just making it and really making a difference. Just kind of surviving, just getting by and really thriving. Because we don't want to be a church that just kind of like is just keep treading water and keeping up the pace. We want to be a church that is thriving. And so it's so valuable to look at what this church had, what they had going for them. And so as we wrap up this, this final sermon in this, we want to look at Paul's description of what church is and does. And I, I know for some of you, you're going to be like, oh, okay, that sounds super interesting. But honestly, I think this, you'll find this really valuable in terms of your relationship. And not just your relationship, this is even more important, but kind of your perspective and how you engage with church and then how you assess how church is doing. Like what's going on? How do we understand how well things are going? around us. So, verse 11, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. 
This is a good example of language that's kind of lost its meaning through familiarity. We use this term all the, all the time, to build one another up, to build one another up. But it's a very churchy concept. You don't see this in other places. You're building one another up. And, and what Paul is using is it's an actual construction term. It's a term that you'd use to talk about like all the houses that are going up around our church building. They're in mid-process. So it's a new home being built or maybe a, a remodel. You know, your kitchen's being remodeled. And it's just, it's this process of this. You are building toward this thing. You are redoing this thing. So what he's saying is your discipleship, you as a human, your discipleship is being built or you are being remodeled. You are this person. And what he says is that you rely on other people to reframe you, to refinish you, and to remodel you. And, and maybe to put a finer point on this, and this is one of those things where I think we will probably agree sort of initially, and then we'll think about it and disagree, but then I'm going to come back, and then we'll agree eventually again. But this is the finer point, is this. As a disciple, I, and I'm going to use myself, but really this is you too, I cannot be whole and healthy without your help. As a disciple, I cannot be whole and healthy without your help. Now, I want you to let that sit there for a little bit and kind of think about it, wrestle it. For some of you, you're going to be like, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not sure I agree with that. Some of you are like, sure, yeah, it sounds fine. I would have thought all of us would have agreed with this in terms of maybe not practice, maybe not good at it, but in in terms of our ideals. And then this week, unrelated to my preparation, I came across this statistic about Christians and their relationship to other Christians. And here's the headline, so you can imagine I was totally into this because I'm preaching this sermon about this. In Christ alone, most believers say they don't need others for discipleship. And I'm like, no, that can't be right. That church people aren't like that. I mean, we're, we understand. Sure, we have the American spirit of ingenuity and dependence. But when we come to church, we understand that we're interdependent, that we're part of a body. There's no way. And so I'm reading through this article. This can't be right. Um, and so they show a stat. Here's the next stat. Um, this, the stat is, I intentionally spend time with other believers in order to help them grow in their faith. So 19% strongly agree. Strongly agree. That would be the right answer. And then everything else is the wrong answer. You know, mildly agree is kind of the wrong answer. Uh, Neither agree nor disagree, wrong answer. Somewhat disagree, strongly disagree. So, in other words, I'm not good at math, but anything past that 28% and over is wrong. You need other people. You need other people to be a healthy, whole Christian. You need other people. Now, I know some of you, and, and again, you know, I tend to be an extrovert, although sometimes as I feel like I get older, maybe I'm changing a little bit, but I know some of you have daydreamed about the prospect of just like leaving society behind, leaving all humans behind, you know, going out into the woods, just on your own, nobody else, just you, I don't need anybody else, it's just me. Maybe it's not out in the woods, Ted Kaczynski style, maybe it's an island, you know, somewhere in the Caribbean, and it's just you and your favorite book or whatever, just you, you don't want anybody else. There's actually um, articles written about these people who have made those kinds of choices, and there, there is one sort of consistency between all the people who have just left society to go off and live by themselves, you know what it is? Something up here wasn't completely 100% right. That's what it is for all of them. Either they started off that way to make that choice or the isolation made them that way. You cannot be a whole, healthy, and fully remodeled disciple without help. The next stat I saw in this article, 
this is discipleship, views on Christian community, says this. That, do you agree with this statement? I can walk with God without other believers. 65%. 65% of people said, I can walk with God without other believers. Can you believe that? That's ridiculous. You're all supposed to agree with me. That's ridiculous. You cannot walk with God without other believers. And you're like, well, what about my prayer time, my personal devo time? Listen, you have too many blind spots as a human being to not need us in your life showing you some of the areas that need to be shaped and changed and reformed. You, you just do. Well, I didn't come here this morning to be insulted. I'm not insulting you. This is what the Bible says. In fact, I thought it was interesting. If you would jump back for me the, the two slides to that that title screen. Jump back for me, would you? In Christ alone. Oh, one more. Most believers say they don't need others for discipleship. I want you to read, if you would. You don't have to do this, but if you'd open up your Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 21. 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye, this is Paul using the analogy of a body to describe the church. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The eye cannot do that. The eye cannot pick up things on its own. The hand cannot say to the eye, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So, when you're walking around thinking, well, I just need me and God to have a good relationship, the parts of the body that seem indispensable or seem weaker are indispensable. Well, okay, maybe I need that person, but I don't need that person over there. No, Paul says you need that person over there. You need everybody. This is all together. We need everybody. Even if Christians kind of still struggle with this, we are learning this lesson as a society. So even if it's not church, you know, if you go outside the church, the, our, our, um, our psychologists are telling us that we are just completely missing the boat in terms of like loneliness and isolation and social engagement. We are just having so much struggle with this. And some of our big problems that we are struggling with as, as a society are symptomatic of this sort of isolation that we're allowing people to experience. Um, a, a gentleman, a Harvard professor, just so you don't think I'm making this up, Harvard professor by the name of Robert Putman wrote a book called Bowling Alone, talking about this, particularly in the political realm. But he wrote this thing. He said, as a rough rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year and a half. I... I don't want to be crass, but we're about to start disciple groups in the fall. And I'm just trying to save your lives. That's all. Small groups are coming, and I don't want anybody to die. So you will actually be getting an email about all our small group stuff this afternoon. And I I want you to live. I want us all here over the next year. Wow, dying. All right, all right. Well, we'll talk about why in a second. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, fine, I guess. I'll join a softball team or a knitting club. I'll get that community that way, whatever. And I want to tell you why that's not good enough. Do that. That's fine. Join all the knitting clubs you want. But why that is no substitute for a spiritual community. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Because he's about, Paul's about to tell us what this looks like. He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, acknowledge those who work hard among you. 
Now, remember, this is a brand new church. He hasn't had time to come in and say, I officially declare you an elder. I officially declare you an evangelist. I officially declare you. This is a brand new church. There are just people who are stepping up and doing what needs to be done in the church. And he says, I want you to note those people. Don't you love those people? You love those people because you come to church and you're like, wow, somebody made bulletins and folded them and I didn't have to do anything. And they did. Somebody worked hard and you didn't have to do anything. We love those people. It's wonderful that those kinds of things happen and we didn't have to do anything. Acknowledge those who work hard among you, right? And in some cases, maybe you're working hard too, but in some cases, you realize that you get to kick back and relax because somebody else is doing the hard work among you. That's wonderful. Acknowledge those people. We love those people, right? There's no official leaders in the Thessalonian church, Thessalonican church, and we have people here who are not earning a paycheck. They're not parking in the minister parking spot. We don't have one of those, by the way, but they're just doing it. Because it needs to be done. There are regular people who are stepping up. Wonderful. They see somebody that needs encouragement and they're like, I will encourage them. However, <laughs> there is a different type of person in the, that exists in the church. And I would say maybe this type of person is more prevalent. They are the type of person who sees a need and then tries to get somebody else to go meet that need. Somebody really should do something about that. Guess what? That somebody is you. You need to do something about that. He goes on to say, note the two things he says, these people work hard. They care for you in the Lord. I like that, care for me. I like somebody coming to visit me, making me feel good and taking care of my needs and helping me out. I like that. That's nice. Bring me a meal when I'm sick. Great, great. Help. Love being cared for. But then he goes on to say, and who admonish you. We don't use admonish very much. You guys know what that means, right? It's, it's not the opposite of encouragement, but it doesn't feel as good as encouragement, right? It's somebody who's kind of coming along and saying, you know, hey, Patrick, I've been noticing some flaws in your behavior. Oh, this will be a fun conversation, right? But we need that too. We need that too. Note those people who are willing to do that for you. That I like much less. And this is why I believe your softball team or your knitting club just doesn't cut the mustard. Because they may be able to critique your knitting technique, but they are going to have a hard time critiquing your character. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. This is really good. Um, Paul's talking about a real church. Real church here. Idle and disruptive. Um, uh, not a sanitized, let's pretend everything's great and wonderful church and let's not talk about real issues church. This is real church. Um, I did a, a quick survey of church branding. Um, you know, like if you look at websites or if you look at church signs, if you look at church like marketing, how they brand themselves. And so, you know, churches have logos. We have a logo, all that. And churches, but often churches will, did you know a lot of churches have a slogan did you know that? Or a tagline, you know, church has a slogan, just like, just like companies, they have a slogan. And so I picked a few typical slogans that you see. These are real slogans. I didn't make these up. Real slogans that you see uh, in churches about how they brand themselves. We build hope. That sounds nice. If you're church shopping and you're like, oh, I want to go, you know, you wouldn't want to go to the church that doesn't build hope. You want to go to the church that builds hope. We build hope. That sounds good. Uh, this one feels a little bit like overpromise, underdeliver. Transforming lives and building dreams. I've had some weird dreams. I don't know that the church is going to deal with those. Here's one. Experience God's presence. That would be great. I, would, I like that. That sounds wonderful. It's very positive, very affirming. Uh, this one just kind of seems a little vague, but I kind of like it. Discover the passion. That's good, too. I, I feel like we should be passionate. That's awesome. Wonderful. Discover the passion. 
Uh, how about this? Reach your potential. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I don't want to not reach my potential. I want to reach my potential. This is my favorite, and this is real. Boldly going where no faith has gone before. <laughs> the, the website guy is a Star Trek fan. I just want you to imagine, though, and those are all understandably positive, they're all wonderful, but what if we tried to use Paul's language in 1 Thessalonians describing real church to brand ourselves? What if we said something like, hey, uh, we're a church where we warn idle and disruptive people since 1978. Put that on our sign, huh? Huh? That'd be great. People would be hitting the brakes and making a hard right into the parking lot. How about this? Experience admonishment. That would be fun, too. That, we should put that on our website. We're doing a website redesign. We should put that one up there. Or how about this? These are all from Paul's words. Disheartened? Well, you'll feel right at home here. <laughs> but it, it's, it's real, and I understand the desire to really just put our best foot forward, and you know, you're talking about reaching outsiders, and you want to encourage, but sometimes we do, we do that at the risk of just not being authentic and real and who we are and not, being, not allowing people to critique our character and not allowing ourselves to reach out to other people and to maybe lovingly point out some of the struggles that that we may be able to help them with that we've had as well that we've had as well now this isn't about setting our sights lower but it's just about acknowledging what church actually is what it actually is and it's it's not that people with problems happen to be at church it's that the church is built around the principle that we have problems (laughs) That's the organizing principle, that we have problems and we need Jesus. That's the organizing principle of church. And we just, we lose that so often. Oh, I don't don't have problems. I'm great. Everything's wonderful. I mean, it's, it to me, and this is a little off topic, just a little inside to preacher world, but it's so ironic, uh, maybe funny, you know, sadly funny, when people criticize the church because of its flawed people. What, What did you expect to find? I mean, I know we try to present ourselves, like everything's great, but... We are flawed people. That's the point. And we are trying to allow ourselves to be transformed by Christ. It's like trying to go to Chick-fil-A and order a hamburger. I mean, it's built right into the name. And, and so here's what I think is really important for us to understand is that, that we, we think about this, 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 way, this perspective that we have at church. Two, just two quick thoughts, and, uh, and I, I won't bore you to tears, but I just want you to hear this because I think this is important to know my heart, but also to know what, what I believe is the heart of God when it comes to church. When, when it comes to criticizing church, I mean, that's low-hanging fruit. You know what I mean? It's like going to a hospital and, and making fun of people for being sick. I mean, that's why they're there. Like, why would you do that when it comes to criticizing people at church? Now, I get we criticize people because people try at church try to pretend they don't need criticism. I get it. I get it. But it's really low-hanging fruit. I, I get it. But secondly, and this is so important, that when we criticize a church, it's a self-indicting critique. It's a self-indicting critique. So when you say, ah, that person has flaws and therefore they're terrible, what you should understand that you're saying, that person has flaws, therefore I need to show them more grace and love and maybe have a conversation with them. I need to. It's a self-indicting critique. Did you know that, church? When every time you sit and look at somebody and feel that little bit of judgmental whatever, just understand that that's the Spirit of God saying, sure, maybe your judgment is correct and accurate, but it means that you get to go be the person that shows mercy and love and grace and maybe even a little admonition. You get to do that. That's fun, right? Oh, fun, fun, fun. 
I, uh, there's this quote that's just kind of always rattling around my mind when it comes to this, um, this quote. Well, let me read 1 Thessalonians 5.14 one more time. Just because, just understand, this is Paul's description of a church. We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. And then finally, be patient with everyone because we all need it. But there's, there's this quote that always is rattling around my mind, particularly when it comes to church and the way people relate to church and engage with church. And it's from this preacher. His name's William Watkinson. And he was preaching this sermon about how we counter good or evil with good. And in this sermon, it's just wonderfully worded. He goes, denunciatory rhetoric. That's that criticism and judgment. That's, and that's that negativity, right? Oh, it goes down smooth. But denunciatory rhetoric is so much easier and cheaper than good works, and it proves a popular temptation. Yet it is far better to light the candle than it is to curse the darkness. Isn't that good? And we should put that quote on our church walls. And every time we walk around and we think, well, that person over there isn't doing good enough, hey, light a candle, man. Stop cursing the darkness. I love it. So what I want for us, when we see the word church, when we hear the word church, when we experience the word church, that it calls to mind a group of imperfect people that are in the process of being remodeled. It means that you're walking through this house that's being remodeled. How silly are you when you're like, it's a lot of sheetrock dust. Ah, I see some, uh, some speckling that needs to be done, some wiring that needs to be fixed. Of course you do. The house is in the middle of being remodeled. And so what churches do, they don't walk through the house saying, this looks ugly, this looks terrible, somebody should do something about this. They grab a hammer, or they put up a few sheets of sheetrock, or they do some wiring. That's the difference. See, we can stand back and we can criticize the church for what it is, and it always has been, or we can pick up a rock and we can make a beautiful little sculpture in somebody's front yard. Or we can attend a funeral of somebody that we don't know. Or we can go take someone out to coffee or encourage someone. Or we can lovingly, kindly, graciously point out some area that a person needs to work on. That's what church is. That's what church is. It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to be neg- negative. It's so easy to do this and be like, if I were doing it, that's not how I would do it. Well, then you do it. Paul puts the responsibility for the community on the community. I love how he wraps up this section. This is the last verse we're going to read in this series. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Could you see how that might happen in a church setting? You got person A over here who's like, person B, they're terrible, they're horrible. Well, what does that make person B do? Look at person A and want to say, well, you're terrible and horrible too. You know, I don't like you either. But person B needs to, no, I'm not going to pay back wrong for wrong. Instead, I will always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. People conspiring together to make something good. That's what church is all about. That's such a hopeful picture, right? So let's walk through the remodel and let's pick up a hammer and let's get to work. Let's stop criticizing. Stop being negative. Start helping build up. I love this topic. I could preach about this topic for for weeks, but I'm not going to. I want you to come back next week, and we're going to start a brief two-week series about, and I know you're going to think, well, I know all about this, but we're going to talk about discipleship. And I I think it's so valuable that we do that, because it's just, I don't want to say it's a lost art, but in, in relationship to people's Christianity, discipleship is something that just kind of, it just doesn't get talked about and thought about and, and dealt with enough. So we're going to do two weeks 
uh, talking about discipleship starting next week. And I know your cabin is calling you, but maybe listen online or just come in for church and then leave for the cabin afterwards. We want you to be here as we talk about what it means to call ourselves uh, disciples. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the church, God, in all its flaws and imperfections, because we know that it's not this wonderful, glorious thing because of who we are, but because of who you are. And so, God, we pray that we would, we would not, we, we would criticize lovingly and we would critique lovingly, but with an, with an intention to build and to grow and to love and show grace and mercy, not with an intention to tear down and to hurt and destroy. Thank you for creating this church, this group of people for us to be a part of. Lord, help us open our lives up to critique, uh, to admonishment, and to encouragement. Lord, help us to build those relationships that we require in order to be whole and healthy disciples of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray.